I'm reading a book or listening to it on Audible, actually, called The Awe of God by John Bevere. And he's making the point in the book that we have lost our awe of God, that we've reduced him to just a commodity kind of. It's, it's very challenging. And we need to understand how great is our God. He is the supreme creator, the sovereign Lord, and our Savior. We're continuing our series on love one another, and some have told me I'm going to meddling today talking about patience, and they, they were going to sit this one out. For some reason, Paul must have known what he was doing. I'm sure he did. He made this one first in 1 Corinthians, love is patient, and then he goes on and lists the other ones. So. We're going to be in Colossians, and I want to read verses 1 through 4 as a preface, then we'll get into our scripture for today. But again, it says in 3.1, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. That's a blessed hope that we have. Now verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, that's what we are, he chose us, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you for this reminder through song and through your word of your great love for us. And how you call us to demonstrate that love for others. Open our minds and hearts, Lord, as the scripture said, that we would hear your voice that we would apply it to our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you ever read the Bible, hear things of God, and say, why? You may feel like it's not a good idea to ask God why, but I like to say God's got broad shoulders. He can handle your questions. He can handle your confusion. But in thinking of that, you know, why would God just be so insistent about our love for one another. And one of the reasons that came to me is because we are demonstrating God to this world. We Christians are his representation of him here on earth. And yet when we say to some people, you have a heavenly father who loves you, that may not resonate with them as we expect it to. For example, years ago I was uh, teaching a vacation Bible school class down in Georgia, and I had uh, preteens or teens, early teens. And one of the things I asked them to do as we were going through the lesson was to just sketch what they thought God looked like. 
And uh, I certainly didn't expect any Rembrandts or Picassos or maybe some Picassos. He did some weird stuff. But one of the girls turned in the, her drawing and in looking at that, it was very obvious that it showed a person being abused. And I went and talked to the pastor about it. It was something I needed to let him know about. And he acknowledged to me uh, in, in confidentiality, but he limited that yes, he was aware there was abuse problems in the home. We have people who grow up in very diverse situations. Hopefully you grew up in a home where love was expressed to you through your father and mother. But we have many, many people in our society. That is not the case. Some don't even know their father. And then some had a father that was not a good representation of our Heavenly Father. And that's very sad. And so we as Christians are demonstrating to others who our Heavenly Father is. And they need to see that He is a God of love. And so he challenges us to live out that definition. We can say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But what does that look like? We can read where he says, love one another. But what does that look like? It's not just a, a gushy feeling. Someone made the, made the analogy one time that I love, I have a 95 Camaro. I had got to drive for a couple of years. I hope to get back to it. That I love, but I'm not in love with my Camaro. I'm in love with my wife. And there's a difference there. We love different things. We may love our home. We may love any number of things. But hopefully, we're not in love with them, the inanimate objects. That's something for a person. We can be in love with God. We can be in love with our spouse. And, and so we are demonstrating this love. Christ abides in us through the Holy Spirit. We are his ambassadors. That's on your, build, on your bulletin there on the front. 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are ambassadors for Christ. You'll see, look around, some of us have this pen on our shirts that's uh, from the royal ambassadors that's where that motto comes from so we are god's ambassadors to this world and how we depict him matters and so we have this teaching in our scripture about being patient patient is a powerful virtue but it's a difficult virtue it is one that we need to grow into. However, if we can learn to be patient, we will be afforded greater opportunity to help others and suggestions in their lives. There are two words translated patience in our New Testament. The Greek is much more specific than our English. One is hupomane, and that is the kind of patience that is an enduring patience. A good word for us to be familiar with there that we would use is perseverance. Persevering through troubling times. Keeping going, not letting it get us down. Being steadfast and sure, even though things may become difficult. 
But that's not the patience that's in 1 Corinthians 13 or what I just read. The other word translated patience is mathomeo. And this word has a slightly different meaning and a good word for it, even though it's not a current word we use, is long-suffering. That's how the King James, the word it uses in its translation, is to be long-suffering. And what this is pointing to is it's pointing to that occasion where we may be offended by another person or insulted by them. And this patience is, is, is not reacting against that, not becoming vengeful, but being patient to endure that kind of offense or insult to our lives. And that is very difficult. We want to defend ourselves. We want to stand up for ourselves. Even when we're wrongly accused of something, it's, it's a natural reaction to want to, to speak against that and to assert our innocence. But as Christians, we can understand that we have an advocate. Jesus Christ is our advocate. And he stands with us. He will, he will support us. He will undergird us. And we do not need to rise to our defense because we have a heavenly Father in Jesus Christ advocating for us. He stands at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding on our behalf, being an advocate, a lawyer on our side to, to substantiate that. So that's part of where we can get this strength about being patient when people are speaking ill will against us, untruthfulness against us, accusing us. We can stand firm knowing that our God knows us, our God loves us, and our God will defend us. And the Bible even says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And so we do not need to seek that. We can trust in Him. And I imagine there is not a soul here that's not been the recipient of some offense, of some assault from another person. Whether it was intentional, sometimes people attack you directly or will intentionally run your name down in public. Sometimes it's by accident. They don't know what they're saying. They don't understand the situation. But it hurts. Both occurrences are hard to bear. And that desire to defend or take revenge is powerful. But Paul's teaching us to be patient, to let it work out. One way that we're able to bear this offense is that understanding of our position in Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible teaches us that our life here is as a vapor. It's as a mist that rises off the grass. When we compare even our long-term life, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, it's but a blip in eternity. And as we as Christians go on to living in heaven with God, this becomes but a, 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 just a, a, a blip on the history because we'll be in eternity with Him. And so that framework can help us to understand. And we can take that solace that we have, that position with God, that He is on our side, 
that he is with us and we do not need to defend ourselves. But another way, more, more directly, more, uh, more uh, applicable in this life, that we can develop patience is through understanding. Understanding. First, we understand that everybody's going through something. We can look at those around us. We can think their lives are wonderful, perfect, but we don't see the trials they're facing day to day. It can be financial difficulties. It can be health issues. It can be interpersonal relationships. There are all kinds of things that all of us are going through at one time or another. Some are long-term, some are temporary. But if we can just have that mindset to understand everybody's going through trials and those problems can cause us to react in a way we wouldn't if we paused to think. But reacting is a problem. And so if we can just understand, if we can give that grace to each other that we understand that there are things going on and maybe that's why they lashed out, that it wasn't directed to us, that it wasn't meant for us specifically, but they have something else going on in their lives. So uh, just a universal understanding and a grace can help us. But we can also take that understanding more personally. If we are patient, then we start having an opportunity to develop a relationship with our offender, with the other person. You know, I liked, what, uh, I liked all the things the little children said. It is amazing the truth they saw and how they expressed it. But that one girl said, if, you, if I can remember it right, if you want to practice love, find the thing you hate the most. Ooh, that's challenging. If you want to learn patience, find that that tries your patience the most. And that can be people. Proverbs 20 verse 5 says, one of my favorite verses of Proverbs, the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters. We have deep things that, that impact us, that drive our thought, that drive our actions, and we don't share those openly, and, and that's really appropriate. We don't want to come into a, a social group and start unloading our problems on everybody. That's not correct. It's not a good way to do. So we hold them inside, and we put on a smile. That other little boy, you know, that love is smiling when you don't feel like it. Uh, yeah, that's it. We do that. But if, we have, if we're a person of insight and understanding, we will understand that we are driven, every one of us, by a variety of factors. And if we will get to know that person with patience, with love, with acceptance, then we start having the opportunity and they will feel safe in opening up and sharing what's going on and sharing why they are driven the way they are. I like to think about our life 
that all through our life it's like we have a tape that's recording things. And it may be that as a child, some things were said to you that have just stuck on that tape. If you've seen the movie, I can only imagine about the man who wrote that. He suffered abuse at his father's hands. His father was a drunkard. His father was, was, uh, was cruel. His mother left, just left him there with the father because she couldn't take it anymore. His father, as he was, as this young man was trying to develop his music, told him, you're never going to be good enough. You're not good enough to do this. And he, and he got that drilled into him that you're just not good enough. And later in the movie, it comes to a head when the young man is told by some producers in Nashville that you're just not good enough. And he reacts incorrectly towards that. They're trying to help him. They're, trying to, they're not saying you don't have any talent. They're not saying you don't have something to say. They're saying you're just not there yet to become a recording artist. And they were willing to help him get there. But because of that tape that was in his head, that was ground in, he could hear his daddy saying, you're just not good enough. And it hindered his impact. It hindered his growth. And we can all face those things. I, I won't share some, but I, I have them right now. I can hear some things my mom said, not out of meanness to me, probably out of frustration. Being a young boy that was putting her to her last nerves in, she, she said something, but that has stuck with me. And as I grow older, again with that understanding, and being a parent now, rearing my own children, having them get my last nerve on end, I can understand that I tried her with some of my ways. And I can extend grace to her and not hold it as a bitterness. And, uh, and on and on it goes. We have that in our lives. The person you're dealing with who may come back to you in an insult. They can be responding to something in their past. They may feel like you're attacking them when you're not, not because of what you're doing, but because of what has occurred in their life, what formed them in their psyche. And so if we can just step back, and rather than defend ourselves, take a moment to try to understand the purposes of their heart as proverb talks about to understand the challenges i will share that one of the things i sit and ponder on and, and i don't have an answer but when we think about the racism that happens in our country and used to be very very prevalent it's still there many years ago i went to the theater john grisham is one of my favorite authors, and he wrote a movie, A Time to Kill, and it was about this, this young black girl who was brutalized by some, some guys, drunk guys, they threw beer cans at her, they strung her up in a tree, they, they ravaged her, and the father, you can imagine, is just beside himself, 
and he hides in the court and he ends up killing, uh, killing them. And so the trial goes on about that. After I saw that, I took my two children to go see it. They were teenagers at the time. They were able to handle it. But as I, I had them watch that, I said, that's where we were as a people not too many years ago. And unfortunately, they're still out there with those kind of attitudes, although it's controlled. Sue and I, it's interesting, both of our dads were pastors. And what broke my dad's heart, and he quit pastoring full time after this, is he was pastoring a church in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. Across the highway was the black community. And my dad was a TV repairman. He was bivocational. And so he was in that community repairing their TVs. And he, he started asking the people about their church. And it turns out they had a circuit preacher. They couldn't afford a full-time pastor or even a part-time pastor. They would have one come around every month or so. So dad made it his, uh, his intention to meet that pastor. And he did one day. He found out he was in town and met him. And he said, would your folks like to come to our, have their children come to our vacation Bible school? And the pastor was beside him and said, oh, that would be great. There's no way we can do it. And we would love if your church would open your door. So dad went to the church. He presented it in the business meeting. The business meeting voted unanimously to invite these children from across the road to come to their vacation Bible school. Exciting times, a new outreach for the church to help a community. There was one family that wasn't there that night. They were away on a trip. When they came back and found out about it, they raised a fuss over it, and the church reversed their decision and said, no, we're not going to invite them. That broke my dad's spirit. And... He soon resigned, and he only filled in in an interim basis after that. And that was a change for my dad. My dad grew up dirt poor in Alabama. If anybody should have had an attitude of racism, it would make sense that it be him. But he had outgrown that. And here, through the love of Jesus Christ, he wanted to extend this ministry to a community, not because of any color they were, but because they were unable to do it for themselves. And the church he was pastoring said no. Sue's dad was pastoring in central Georgia, and he was doing similar ministries. And one time people came and put a cross in his front yard and set it on fire. We both have had the experiences with the Klan in that way. The racism that was apparent and so this drives that community. And I don't know those things. I don't know the, the, um, the prejudice that these other nationalities have faced. And I try, to, I try to imagine it, but there's no way I can because I didn't live it like they've lived it. But I can understand that that's part of what drives them. And it's not just the African-American. Those of you who have lived long enough know that at one time in our country, the Irish were looked upon that way. The Italians were looked upon that way. We pretty much 
anyone that's new will treat them with that kind of prejudice that scares us. Sometimes, and this is a this is a sidelight, sometimes I worry that in our churches we're reticent to grow because we're going to get people that are different than us and they'll have different ideas and it'll challenge how we are comfortable worshiping. It's not wrong, it's just different. And do we have that love of Christ to where we let everyone come in? We want to receive everyone and we work together in this mold. Uh, that, that would be the hope. So that understanding of what drives a person. When I, again, in the church I pastored in Florida in January, they would have a depression dinner. Now that sounds like an exciting dinner, doesn't it? A depression dinner. But it wasn't about the emotional depression. What they would do was in that particular fellowship dinner, they were all to bring something they ate during the depression. They were senior citizens, obviously. They'd been through it. So that helped a little bit of the light there, but still at first, that depression. But that impacted them, having gone through the depression, remembering what that caused. Some of you may have memories of that. Not that you've lived that long necessarily. That's going a ways back. But you may remember the stories of your parents. We've just been through COVID. COVID has changed our world. It's changed our outlook. It's impacted. So these kind of events affect how we react to things, how we react to each other. And if we can be a person of wisdom, a person of insight, to give the, person, the other person space, understanding there's something driving this behavior from them, then we can develop that relationship. But it takes work. It takes dialogue. You see, it's easy for us to just take our perception and act upon our perception. There's a phrase I like called perception is reality. And, and some have pondered over that with me and disagreed with me. But how we perceive something to be is how we act in that situation. Some time back I showed you the clip from Pollyanna. And she brought up to the pastor something her dad had read. That if you look bad in people, you'll surely find it. If you perceive other people to be bad and you react to them, that becomes a reality. It may not be true, but it's your perception. So we all have these perceptions. And to break those perceptions down takes dialogue. This is what I hear you saying. Oh, no, no, that's not what I mean. Or, or I didn't realize I was saying that. But going back and forth, so that takes time. Time is our valuable commodity. It takes interest in the other person. It takes a desire to develop that relationship. Maybe not to become bosom buddies for life, but at least to just understand and they can know where you're coming from and you can know where they're coming from. But it does take that work. 
But that's all part of the love of Jesus Christ. When we are witnessing to somebody or we have somebody come to church and maybe uh, not this kind of weather, but maybe during the summer, they might walk in with shorts. They might have a cut-off shirt. They might, it might not be the dress that we think is appropriate for worship. Do we still receive them in love as a person that needs to know the love of Christ? Or do we reject them and not want to talk to them, not want to get to know them? We want, I, want us, I want to be a person that accepts whoever walks in the door. That doesn't mean they're necessarily made a Sunday school teacher or these kind of things right off the bat. But they're an individual that God loves, that I need to love, and that I accept them for where they are. One of the things that I've come to believe in life that most of us, all of us want really is acceptance. That we want people to just accept us. And as they do, what happens as we do that? We, de we develop, we earn the right at some point to say something. As people learn that we're accepting of them, that we're expressing grace and love towards them. You know, we all know our problems. We know if we're overweight. We know if, we're, uh, if we are having a habit that's not good for us. We don't need somebody to tell us. We need somebody to accept us. And as they do, then we're able to step out and ask for help or ask for understanding, or explain ourselves. But if we come up against criticism, it causes us to just shut down, to block that out, and not put ourselves in that position again. And when that happens, we lose as Christians. When we do that to others, we lose as Christians the opportunity to tell them of the love of God. And so that openness, that understanding, not, not changing what we think about what's right and wrong, but understanding they're a child that God created who needs to know His love. And by doing that, if we're patient, we develop a relationship, we get the opportunity to say something and helpfully, hopefully help them to grow into a knowledge of our Lord and Savior, and let Him, through the power of the Holy Spirit, speak to them and say, this needs to change, that needs to change. We are not the Holy Spirit. It is not our job to correct people. It's our job to show them the love of Jesus Christ, and we can only do that by practicing a patient love, by not taking overt action against an insult, against an offense, against these kind of behaviors. But letting the love of Jesus Christ shine through us. And so that's what being patient in love is. It's understanding. It's accepting. It's extending grace. And in that way, developing relationships, 
that can help each other grow into a more well-rounded, wise individual. So I hope that we'll hear that word today and think about it before we react, before we accuse, before we write somebody off, is to say, you know, I wonder what's driving that. I wonder what happened this morning that put them in a foul mood. What's going on? And if we don't have the opportunity to speak with them, we can speak to our Father and say, Lord, help them. Whatever the need is, love them, help them, send them somebody that can interact with them. That's a valuable lesson. Stand with me as we close in prayer. Mark's going to come with our closing song. As we sing this song, as we pray, give our Lord a chance to examine your heart. To be able to say, this is what I'd like you to address. This is a wrong attitude. This is a wrong behavior. Or to embrace his hug when he says, well done for this good work. Well done for receiving this person. But let him speak. That's what this moment is for, is for him to speak to you. And if he calls you to respond, respond. As always, this is a time of invitation for anyone who may want to unite with our church, who may want to express their desire to be uh, baptized, to profess Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I stand here at the front ready to receive you. Let's sing.